want to know about young Fraser first. I want to know about the, the little Fraser running about and, you know, before we get into the rest of it. Yeah, that's cool, mate. Uh, I had a, quite a good upbringing. Uh, Mum and Dad stayed together until I was quite young. Uh, but Dad left when I was about nine years old. Um, school life, I wasn't very good at school. Not good at taking information and I was a bit of a wild child, really. I was uh, always getting into bother. Uh, didn't look for it, it seemed to find me all the time. Uh, we moved from Stanley to Christian when I was about 11. And then I hated school after that. It was, I used to bunk off all the time. Me and my mates used to go to the churchyard, uh, smoke cigarettes, and uh, get alcohol and have a drink. You know, so to me, school was just wanted to get through it and get out of there. I left school with very little qualifications, like low grades in maths, English, and all that stuff. And I just uh, went there just to get through it, really. Uh, I left home at 18, moved in with a girl. At the time, I was doing uh, catering college, which uh, because of one thing and another, I failed completely, which was a disappointment to me, really, because I'd always wanted to cook as a living. Yeah. So I went from being a young man, I went, I worked in factories and I worked here, there and everywhere, agency work. Never felt anywhere where I belonged, really. Never found a job that I really wanted to. So yeah. about 19 years old, I moved to Leeds, to Chapel Town, and I moved into a bed set in uh, Leopold Street in Chapel Town, and uh, got got in with a few people, you know, met a few mates, and got started to smoke a bit of weed, and uh, uh, yeah, 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 had some good time smoking it. We used to have a laugh. We used to go all over. We used to go gathering magic mushrooms. And uh, one person actually asked me if I wanted to go out and do some work. And I was like, which is criminal stuff. And at the time, I'd never been in trouble with the police. So yeah. I really didn't want to do it. Uh, so I just carried on smoking the weed and doing bits and pieces here and there work-wise. But I never settled down. And uh, eventually... I needed, I needed to get some money together. So I started going, doing uh, burgling pubs and schools to get money together. And I was just, at the time, I was like, maybe having a bit of speed and stuff like that. But I never thought I went any stronger than that. Yeah. So uh, go, obviously going back to like, yeah, you know, with, the, with the timeline, going back to... We'll go say back in your school days. Obviously, I I left school with no GCSEs. Yeah, I I couldn't concentrate in school. It, it won't for me at all. I just didn't like the idea of sitting in a classroom and somebody's yeah. telling me something that, um, frankly, I'm never going to use. Um, yeah, I I tended to be at school. I tended to be a daydreamer. I tended to in the classroom sit and watch clouds go by and yeah. Uh, not take anything in. Uh, at the time, 
looking back now, I was never diagnosed with with dyslexia or uh, anything like that. So I was sort of overlooked. And I found it very frustrating because everybody else was like passing all these qualifications. And I, w I was a bit of a loner at school. Yeah. Uh, going from one place to another, you know, one, one school to another, I think it's very hard for people to, to fit in, really. And I was always looking to be fitted in with, the, uh, with other people. And I found it very hard at that young age. Yeah, because like someone that knows you, you're, you're an individual. You're, you're a very unique individual person. Um, yeah. So obviously, I'm assuming that that's what it was like when you were in school. You know, people didn't understand you. They didn't, they didn't understand what we understand as Fraser now. Yeah, um, that, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes more sense. Because um, I think a lot of people struggle in school, especially with, you know, there's a lot of, if you don't fit in, it's very hard. Um, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, they say them unique people are the ones that become something and they go further on. You know, yeah. they're different. They're not, they're, not, they're not a sheep. You know, yeah. they're the ones that are going to be running a company and not working for someone else. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I I got to a point where when, when I was at school that I just used to do my own thing. Yeah. I, I, I was a very strong-minded person and I've just got stronger in that will that I won't let people put me down. I won't let yeah. people walk over me anymore. But it's taken a lot of work to get to where you've got the self-confidence to believe in yourself. Yeah. I think so. Obviously, you, you mentioned that you moved to Chapel Town. Where did you live before Chapel Town again? I lived in Stanley. I, I lived That's... in Stanley and then yeah. moved to Wakefield. Uh, yeah. Went to Crofton and then back to Wakefield. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to get away from it all. And I decided that Leeds was a place. I thought. <laughs> Yeah, what wrong there? <laughs> um, yeah, probably the worst place you could have gone is Chapel Town, but yeah, um, yeah I yeah. understand. I understand. I mean, it is painted out to be a really nice place with all carnivals and stuff that go on. Yeah, um, but I'm from Leeds originally, so I'm always going to be biased to say that is not the place to go. Um, well, at the time, it was really bad with Chapel Town. As a as a white man, you couldn't yeah. walk on a night. It was impossible. Because there were gangs of uh, other people going around, mugging people, fighting people. So I was at nine o'clock at night. When I first moved there, I never went out. Yeah, so, so it was a very, it was a very race-dominated area. Oh so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I've heard stories about Chapel Town. I've never actually gone there myself because I'm I'm from Armley, so we're, we're yeah. told, you know, there's certain areas where we're told not to go. Um, yeah. as we're growing up and Chapel Town's one of them areas that yeah. it's like no you don't go there um, yeah yeah. no that's interesting I, I never knew that there, I was like what am I doing here why yeah and then it was like beyond my control at the time I was stuck there and uh, you know thing, things happen in your life for a reason and I do believe that I moved there for a reason <laughs> Which will yeah. 
more transparent as we go through our chat. Yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously you moved to Chapel Town. You know, you mentioned that you met some people that were kind of getting you into wrong things. You were smoking weed. Um, you know, you had a bit of fun on it. You, you know, yeah. There's, there's, there's negatives and positives to all of this stuff. Um, yeah. And then what happened? You know, you said that you started doing a bit, bit of jobs with people. Like, yeah. What, what, what was that? And you know, what, what come of it? So to say. Well, we used to do um, industrial sites, you know, like schools, pubs, warehouses, shops, anything that where we could get instant money or cigarettes or alcohol and then go and send it on, uh, go and sell it on to other people. Um, and we just used to blow it all in weed and wids and... They were, they, we never made anything that we did anything with. You know, it was never a case of getting, improving our lives, really. It was just a vicious circle that we had to do over and over again. Yeah. I, so, I sort of remember one night when we'd been out and we got back. And uh, when we got back to the house, Somebody got some uh, some some smack, and everyone was like, "Oh, should I try this?" And everyone was trying it, and I was the only person that sort of went, "Oh, I don't know. I really don't want to." Uh, it's like really stepping up. It's going too far. Yeah. And peer pressure. I did it. Yeah. And I've never ever been hooked on something so quickly it was like going from normality to this other person in a matter of seconds and people that I've met through that and people that I've spoken to since it's a lot of people that have that situation and uh, as soon as I won it believe it or not I wanted to get back out of it but I was in, I was in. I always thought that I had the strength to, to beat it. I always yeah. thought I'd never get addicted to anything. And the, the truth is that it's in control of you. It's out of your control. Once you've done it, you hope. Yeah. I mean, you hear a lot of people talking about the, you know, the weed and coke and MDMA yeah. and all these, all these different party drugs, but it's nothing compared to these hardcore drugs yeah. that are gonna, you know, that completely take over your life. Um, yeah. It's a completely different ball game, I suppose. Um, I mean, obviously, when when you got addicted to it, it's it completely took over you. What yeah. what did it do to you? What like what effects did it have on you? You know, what what did it make you do as a person? Any... It took away, it took, the phrase that you know, because yeah. when I was younger, there was a phrase like that, maybe not as outgoing, it took away everything. It made me from a, a really kind person to somebody who would hurt people and not even think about it. It made me selfish. Yeah. It was just whatever I wanted, I did and I got. 
Yeah. I just didn't take anybody else into consideration. And in the back of my head, I knew what we were doing wrong. But it was like that silent consciousness, you know, that, that I just ignored. I didn't want anything to do with it. The yeah. worst thing about it was the family giving up on me. Um, I went from from seeing my family, my gran and all my mum, my dad, uh, on a regular basis to not seeing them at all. They, yeah. they all gave up on me, which used to be the worst thing because as a young person, family was everything to me. Looking back at it now, do you think they made the right decision? Absolutely, absolutely. As a, as a dad myself, I don't know how I'd react. Neither of my children do this. Uh, they both know where I've come from. I've told, yeah. I've told them the truth because the thing about the truth is all you have to remember is the truth. The thing about deception is you lie upon a lie upon a lie, which you get you get buried in. And you've got to be a very, very intelligent person to lie and keep it up, which at the time I wasn't. I used to trip myself up and it just it just became deceptful. That's who I became. I became just self obsessed. Yeah, I suppose going back to you know, mate, you mentioned your kids there and that, and we've got obviously we've got two lads. Yeah. Um, you know, it kind of going through these different things and that. You're like, yeah, I've got two kids myself. I've got a, a young lad and a young a young daughter. Yeah. You kind of you're kind of grateful that you've gone through it when you've got kids because you you can kind of pass them life lessons on to them, and yeah. instead of just being someone with a book or someone from university that's telling yeah. kids in a school about it. You know, you've got someone that's got real life experience that yeah. you're passing on to your children that nobody else can give them. Yeah. I think that's priceless. I don't think, you know, I think if, if any, if any good can come out of all these, these negative parts yeah. of your past, you know, that's one of them. You're able to pass on that knowledge firsthand. Yeah. We get scars through life, Scott. We get scars as we're living, and some are physical and some are emotional. And these scars that we get through life, you've got to look back on them and be grateful for them because it's through these things that build our character and our personality to help other people that are less fortunate than us. And if I can help one person with what I've got to say and where I've come from, well, it validates all them years that I've been going through stuff. It it gives me a sense of of uh, justice that I've come through it and that I can share the story. You know, I'm not embarrassed about what I've done in my life because why should I be embarrassed? We all make mistakes and we all go through hard times. Yeah, it's having 100%. that battling spirit, which you've got as well, Scott. That that builds you and gets you through it. Yeah, I think I think that is it. You know, you you've got to learn from everything. Um, you know, speaking about scars, we both know about them very well. Um, yeah, physical, yeah, physical yeah. and mental. Um, <laughs> we won't get into that. Um, you know, but I, I think 
that's kind of why I started this podcast in first place, you know, speaking to people like you that have been through tough times like this and having an avenue to share that yeah, you know, with, with a friend or with someone you know and get that message out there, even like you say, even if one person learns from it, yeah, mission, mission accomplished, you know. Have you heard of the butterfly effect, Scott? Yeah. Yeah, a butterfly flaps its wing over here and it's a tidal wave in China. You don't know what that one person's going to go on and achieve. You don't know what that one person is going to change. Yeah. And that, that is the bigger plan. That, you know, in, in the job that we do, we're doing the same thing. We're changing people's lives, you know, and that's what life's about. Yeah, I've gone from being a selfish person to not. I mean, I think obviously we'll get into that later yeah. on, you know, because yeah. um, I've got a point about that. But, you know, yeah. do you, obviously, so you've got addicted to smart. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you, you've started becoming more self-obsessed, you know, you, yeah. you've, your family have decided to walk away. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, as a person, that no matter whether you're addicted to drugs or not, that's going to eat you up. Yeah. Obviously, when you're on drugs already, you're, your head's already in a mental Yeah, state yeah. That you, you can't explain unless you've been there. Yeah, that's right. What 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 were your thoughts at the time where, you know, you're, you're sat there, you're in your room and you're thinking, I've got nobody around me. I'm addicted to a drug that is absolutely taken over my life. Like, what's the thought process there? Like, how does how do you get from that to you, who you uh, are today? Yeah, I went through loads of emotions while whilst I was in the drug state. I tried many times to wean myself off. I tried cold turkey. I mean, I locked myself in a room with a bucket, so I couldn't leave the house. Yeah. I couldn't leave that room. I had bottles of water, I had food, and I got clean. And then I went back out, and I mean, I'd been out of the house for about 12 hours, and I went off my face again. It was just a constant, I didn't want to be where I was. I knew that I didn't. I knew that if I carried on, there wasn't going to be a good ending for this story. Yeah. And I just tried on my own my own my own way. I tried other drugs to weigh myself off it, which didn't work. I just constant battle against the inner phraser and the outer phraser. And mm. the outer phraser that was taking control through the drugs was a lot stronger than what I had inside me. Do you think that's because it seems easier? Oh, a lot it's, easier. You know, I mean, we, we see it every day, don't we? You know, drugs and crime are so advertising to young people especially because if you can go out and do something illegal and make £200 just for doing one yeah. thing yeah, or go Work for a job... Yeah. Yeah, you can kind of see the difference in like why so many young people are enticed into doing it. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I think it's a lot easier nowadays as well. Because yeah, it definitely is. Than when I was going through it. You know, it was the cyber and all sorts nowadays that you don't even have to leave your house. You know, whereas where well I was at the time, I saw it as a full time job. Yeah. I saw it as a full time job going out and uh, making money illegally. But the no, trouble with the illegal stuff is you've always got somebody after you. You've always yeah. got your DNA is being left behind. You've always got cameras. You've always got people that are willing to sell you down the river. And what seems easy isn't, you know. Yeah, no, I think problem is, is, you know, the especially in this, we're not educated enough on it. We're not educated on the dangers of what going down this road could do to you. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've met multiple, multiple people that have never got off this road. And, you know, to this day, I don't know if they have. Then I've yeah. also met a lot of people that have. But they've had to educate themselves. And I know as individuals, we, we should be expected to learn from our own mistakes find his own answers, you know, yeah. all these, this self-teaching. But there has to be some type of education, especially in his schools and colleges and even up to university that is yeah. teaching people of the dangers of drugs and crime. Yeah. Do you know what I think the best idea is? You know, you can have police officers going in and talking to children. You can have counsellors going in and talking to children. But you need people that have walked the walk that have been on the road and done this the real people that are out there that have got the story where they were and where they can be you know yeah yeah i think a proper real life story beats any amount of scenarios and, and what what professionals have to say professionals do have the place but i think for that sort of work and you've also got uh, the prison element that people go into prisons and drugs are available. You know, there's no education there either. Yeah, I used to, um, in one of my old jobs, I used to go, I've, I've been into Amla prison with with my old job. There's no screws in there. <laughs> the, yeah. The, the government do not run them prisons. Um you know, I've never been to prison, luckily. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've 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 met a good few people that have said them prisons are not run by the government at all. Uh, yeah. But I mean that that's a podcast within itself, is that? Yeah. That, yeah. Um, you know that that's one for another day. Uh, I don't I don't think either of us are well educated on prison enough for that. Yeah. Ah, right. You are right. Um, it is no matter where you are, you can get hold of it. Get hold of it. Schools. Yeah, no, no, and that's that, that's mental to think. You know, at, at the ages, you should be climbing trees and playing knock a door run and bulldogs yeah. on ale, not selling smack and heroin yeah. on streets. Yeah, when I was at school. The strongest thing we had were booze, booze and cigarettes. 
which I'm not saying is ideal for schools, but that's what we did. You know, that's how we grew up. Or at yeah. least did. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, in my early days in high school, it was quite similar, you know, we'd go... We'd, we'd be we'd be snorting packs of sherbet thinking we were <laughs> we were ten men. You know, I remember me and my friends going up, and I'd always get the same thing. I'd always get a bueno and a Dr Pepper, um, <laughs> and then me other mates. You know, we'd be getting sherbet and we'd be sniffing sherbet, thinking you know that we're big time and stuff. Yeah, but you know, as you died, we got go a joystick, a marijuana flavored joystick, and we were sniffing the smoke, thinking we'll get our high off a joystick. Yeah, I mean, it, it's always that first, I mean, it, it just changes, doesn't it? It changes so sudden, that first introduction, you know. I remember my first ever introduction into drugs. I, I was literally, as simple as just walking up a ginnel. Me and my friend were walking up a ginnel and we just found a 10 bag on the floor. Yeah. And we're kids. We found something that's cool in our yeah. heads. That is cool, you know. We got it, took it home, absolutely. Didn't have a clue what we were doing. Took yeah. cigs apart and just stuffed it in. We didn't even, you know, grind it or anything. Just stuffed it all in. Tried smoking it. We probably weren't even high, but we pretended yeah. we were because we were kids. But that one day, obviously, that that one single incident introduced us to drugs forever. Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know it's one of them. I we just it's them elements need to be taken away. It's like the fuse, mate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. A firework can't go off unless you like the fuse. No, definitely not. Um, that first joint that I had, that was the beginning of it all. I'll never forget where it was. It was in Osset. I'll never forget the people I was with. Because that started it all off. It's weird, isn't it? Because you talk about weed, right? Now, I'm against drugs completely. But the yeah. fact that weed is illegal... But, yeah. but alcohol is legal. Baffles my brain to this day. Yeah. I'll never get it. I'll never understand it. I, I don't want to understand it. But you kind of have two different sets of people. You've got the people that start off smoking weed, but then I'll just stick to party drugs. And do you know what? If, if, that, if, they, if they can do that, if they can stick to them, yeah. do you. <laughs> you know, do you. That's good for you. Do you. But the chance of that slim line... Yeah, that you could cross at any moment onto the hardcore stuff. It's not worth it, and I just. I always said, uh, Scott. I always said that I'd never do that. Always, always, you know, from being about twenty, I said I'd never do it, and I wish I'd never done it in one way. But that first one, that was a killer. Yeah. You know, peer pressure, mate. But I, d I don't believe that if everybody who smokes cannabis is going to go on and take hard drugs. Which no, that's it. You know, I, I, some of most, some of the most interesting people I've ever met in my life, they're interesting because they're high. Like, that's the only <laughs> reason they're interested is because they've been smoking weed and they're talking absolute bollocks. bollocks. <laughs> and yeah. you, you know, but you, you listen to them because it's interesting. Yeah. Um, hey, how many times have you heard that conversation? And then sometime in the future, you've actually started that conversation because I know I have. I've done it in the past that I've yeah. come out with absolute rubbish because I've heard one other person spouting it off while 
walking out the joint. It's, it's a baffling world. Um, obviously, so getting back to the story, I think yeah. <laughs> you know we've we've wandered off a little bit far. Then, um, <laughs> you know, you'd you got to a point you you tried you tried recovering yourself. You know, you yeah. done all you'd done all this locking yourself in a room and keeping away from all these people. But every time you went out, you still found yourself going straight back to it. Yeah. What? Yeah. Because there obviously was one. What was the defining moment that made you think, you know what, fuck this. I am 10 times better of a man than this. Yeah. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for me. I'm not going to do this for anyone else. I'm going to do this for me. When was that yeah. moment? That moment, we'd, we'd been out and we'd done a couple of pubs. And two days after, we all got arrested. And uh, we all got bailed. And one person said, I know who grassed us up. I know who split on us. And they said, it was Fraser. So four people came into my room. And I mean, they pasted me. They were jumping on my head. They were kicking me. Uh, it went on for about 40 minutes. And... Uh, they left and I got up and walked out and I went to somebody's house that I knew in Hare Hills and they said to me, they said, you need to go to a hospital. I said, no way am I going to a hospital. No way. So eventually I collapsed and had a seizure and uh, I woke up and I was in uh, Jimmy's, St. James's yeah. and uh, they thought that I was going into a coma, so they took me down to the LGI, to the neurosurgical ward. And all of a sudden there were the machines being brought next to me, uh, because they thought that I was going to go into coma at any moment. And they said to me, they said, we need to get in touch with your family. And as I said, no contact with my family in a while. And eventually the only person that I wanted to see was my mum, and I really needed to see her. Yeah. Understand my face was a mess, I had black eyes, there was blood coming out of my ears, uh, my face was like a watermelon, it was swollen up. So my mum came into the ward, and it was a look on my mum's face of horror and upset that I knew that I wanted to become better than I was. I knew that I wanted to become clean, but I had absolutely no idea how to go forward. I didn't know. I talked to doctors and stuff, and they gave me like rehab, but I didn't need to do, go that route. So I spent I spent two months in the hospital, and my mum came and visited every single day, and. So I've got a bit of a relationship back with her. And it's then... That, it's that bridge building, isn't it? It's that first yeah. step to building your bridges back. To see my mum that first time, it still makes me emotional. After all these years, just to think of her. You know? Yeah. And uh, I finished up in a place in Leeds, which was a hostel, and it looked like a castle. It had four towers, 
and the bedrooms were really basic. It was like a prison cell. It had a metal bed, it had a sink, and it had a bedside table. Yeah. And I moved in there. It was called Shaftesbury House. And it was a bit grim, to be quite honest with you. But it was somewhere where nobody knew where I was. So it was safe. And it were better than the alternative. Yeah, yeah. And at the time, I remember looking at the door and there was a, a Gideon's Bible on the door. Yeah. I didn't pick it up, but I used to look at the Bible just on the door every single day. And it was after about two weeks that I picked this Bible up. And I opened this Bible up and it was, to, this, this scripture is what they have at weddings. It's 1 Corinthians 13. And it's on about love. That love yeah. That love that you've got nothing. And it sort of meant something to me. And it was later on that afternoon, I was in the television lounge and I heard somebody talking about uh, Jesus. And at the time, I just wanted somebody to talk to. I felt yeah. wrong. So I got into this conversation with them about that I'd read this bit of a Bible. And they invited me out to a house meeting in the evening. Guess where it was? Church. <laughs> Chapel Town. Chapel oh, Town. God. Spencer <laughs> Spencer That's Blake. just your luck, is that? I know. I'm like, what are the chances? So I went. And at the time, I was still smoking weed, but I hadn't had anything else for a while. Yeah, yeah. And... This guy gave me a leaflet and said, uh, I've been told to give you this. I was like, all right. I thought, what a weirdo. <laughs> and unconditional love, they were hugging me. And you know, I'm like, yeah. no, hugging. Well, I yeah. wasn't at the time. I wasn't in 20 of that sort of stuff. And I got back to where I was living. Now, an interesting fact, I find this interesting. When you when your mother gets pregnant or any woman gets pregnant, they give an uh, estimated date for birth. Now, I was born on the 18th of April, but I should have been born on the 4th of April. Yeah. I went back to this hostel and I emptied my pockets out onto this table, which I wouldn't do normally. And I built a joint and I was smoking this joint on the bed. And I looked down and there was a, that leaflet called Why Jesus. And I just picked it up and I started reading it. And it just impacted me that I'd been living as a immoral way. And I actually got down on my hands and knees and said a prayer. And the really interesting thing was, it was the 4th of April. Ah, so... Um, you, you it's like I'm, you've kind of, you've been My, reborn. Yeah, reborn on the 4th of April, the day should have been born. And I carried on going to this pe these people's houses, it was, they were called Les and Wendy, and they were yeah. like my spiritual family. And I moved into their house, into their attic. And I'd been there about two months. And uh, the, these people that had beat me up found me again. So we were like, what am I going to do? And 
they formed up somebody they knew in Weatherby. And they transported me out to Weatherby and I lived on a farm in the middle of nowhere. And I got such peace. And that was the, the sort of the start of the recovery for me, going there. Yeah. Um, I think there's something about the getting away from the city life. Yeah. That you know, helps a lot. I think what a lot of people really suffer from is a bit hanging around with the same people and yeah. never changing anything. The, the only way you can break free is actually go and go away from it. Living on the farm, I worked on the farm, and it was a brilliant time of my life. And when I first moved there, because of the drugs, I had to slept, I slept about an hour a night. So what I used to do was used to go out into the stars and look at the stars and just have peace and quiet. Yeah. And compared to what my life was before, it was like dance music all day long, drugs all day long. And I just had that peace and quiet. And uh, that sort of changed my life, did that. And another thing that came from that, they used to go to a church in York. Yeah. And it was such a vibrant church. It was full of loving people alive. So I decided that I was going to move to York. And I, I moved there and I became a waiter for a while in one of the hotels there. Yeah. And through that church, I met Sheila. And Sheila's now my wife, and we've been married 25 years. Yeah. But in the meantime, I was also going through court. Um, it went to Crown Court when we eventually got through all the hearings and stuff. And I got a character reference. And we were stood before the judge and uh, they gave it this character reference and he was the, the judges you expected looking over the top of the glasses yeah. I thought, two inches tall two inches tall and uh, he said you've had chance after chance he says imprisonment is your only answer he says I've read this reference and he says you've had chance and you've not taken it he says I'm undecided now. He said, but I'm going to give you one more chance. And I got probation through that. Yeah. And I do feel like I was protected. But yeah, it's a day that changed my life when I, that 4th of April. It's interesting that. So, it, it, I mean, it is always that, that one day that, I mean, for me, it were, what stopped me being a tool were, finding out that I was going to have a son. Yeah. That changed me. So yours, obviously yours were this, there's this big meaning around that day, you know, it's the day that you were supposed to be born for one. Yeah. It's, it's something that you never thought you'd have acknowledged, but yet something in your... Middle of the drug addiction, that five years down the line, you're going to be clean and you're going to be going to church and you're going to be engaged to married and and years after that, you're going to have two sons. And and it's something that I couldn't have envisaged. You know, yeah. And that I'm going to have my family life back again, that I can go to my parents' house and just walk in the door and have a relationship with them. You know, that, that to me 
is just perfection. And uh, becoming a dad, that was a life changer as well. Yeah. You can't imagine when you're in the middle of the storm that there is a, a way out of it. <coughs> I think that's it. Hard work and perseverance, you know, and anybody can achieve anything if they put their mind to it. And you've obviously you set your mind in the right place. You know, although one of the big things for you was that you found you found your peace within God and the church. Yeah. To, to me, what I'm hearing is you found peace within yourself. You know, in, you, you you use that as an avenue to believe in Fraser. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm not a religious person, so I'm, I'm kind of looking at it from yeah. the perspective of somebody that's not religious. Um, there is a difference, I've got to say this, that religion is something that you have to do. It's going... You, you brush your teeth religiously. It's something that you have to do where I've got a relationship with God. Yeah. Uh, with a relationship, you're always growing together. You're always uh, changing. You're always making yourself a better person. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think, it's, I think it's fantastic, you know, if, to anybody that can, can find that avenue to, to change, it's no matter what it is and since being a christian uh i got a job in a in a call center in the kitchen as a pot wash and uh the guy who was in charge of the kitchen a guy called mike he had belief in me and uh he actually put me through college yeah. where a second attempt uh what i thought was my dream at the time to become a chef and he had the trust in me and the belief in me that I could do it. And when I failed the first time, I never thought I'd get it. And I went and actually became a trained chef, which, you know, it was like a dream come true, really. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I always thought that I'd be a chef until I retired. And then another moment that changed my life was I went for an interview uh, with the job that I'm doing now as a support worker. It is a, a very rewarding job. I mean, I think you find a lot of people that have, you know, been through interesting lives that at some point have kind of needed help themselves, but have had to find help within the self rather than someone else helping them. Yeah. In care, you know, it's... And I think it makes you a caring person when you've gone through something. Yeah. You value life that much that you're trying to give not only yourself a better life, but other people. Absolutely. I, I think that's amazing. You know, it's we both do the same job. We both do it for different reasons, obviously. Um, but ultimately, we're, you know, we, we're there to do the same thing. And yeah. We, we do a good job at it. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, so obviously now, now the phrase of being that we all know and love, you know, absolutely, absolutely smashing it. I might just add, you know, he's yeah. <laughs> sweet. Two kids, two boys, his yeah. yeah. wife. No, we can't say kids anymore because they're 22. <laughs> That's it, you know. Um, rides a motorbike now, flying around on his little scooter when it's, yeah, yeah, when it's, yeah. not, when it's not in garage. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, just absolutely loving life, you know. Cut, cut yeah. Guys. I've said it before, man. I come into work and you just light up the place. Yeah. Your enthusiasm and yeah, the way you, you know, you carry yourself, it just brings a light out. And I think everybody that works with us is probably saying the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and the fact that you've been through so many different things in your life, but yet can still find the positives within anything. Yeah. Can't, you can't put a pretty mate. Nothing can, nothing can prepare you for what you deserve, mate. And yeah, you, you, it'll come to you. You'll get it. Yeah, the you'll get is, everything you want. What we do, and you do it as much as me, we build each other up. We give each other belief in themselves. You know. Yeah. When somebody's having a hard time, we're there. You know, we, we help. We, we try to to make the situation better. Sometimes you can't. And being there and be, being a person to hug and being a person to listen to. That's what I've learned through life, that, listen, we've got two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you talk. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of them, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. okay to... As a, as a man, it's one of them. We, 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 we're trained in quotation marks, to yeah. be hard and emotionless and tough, but ah, it's I've all right to ask for help. Do you know, it's all right to feel down every now and then. And yeah, a, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a man in quotation marks that moisturises every day. So you yeah, know, here we go. <laughs> but um, I mean, it's it's been absolutely amazing having you on, Fraser. You know, it's. Definitely made my first one a lot easier. Um, but it'd have been a stranger, I don't think this would have gone out, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I'll probably have you on again at some point when I've got it going properly. You know, it's, yeah. at the moment, it is what it is. We've just got to deal with what we've got. Do you know where we're, we're at the moment? We're at the start. That's uh, it. Every journey steps with, starts with one step, mate. No, I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah. You're an amazing guy. No, thank you very much, Fraser. And obviously for anyone that's listening, you know, give Fraser some love. You know what I mean? He deserves it. He's he's a good guy. I can't say enough about him. Uh, but, Could you I know, just say one more thing? That if there's anybody out there that needs help, it, Scott, he knows my name. Get in touch with Scott and he'll put you through to me. And if there's anything I can do to help anybody, I'm there. Because it's all about helping each other. With your weaknesses can be my strengths and vice versa. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Fraser. You're welcome, mate. You're welcome.